All right. Yes. I really appreciate the tech team. All right, so that's it. Uh, there's your discussion question. No, I'm kidding. So solitude, what is solitude? So the dictionary tells us solitude is a state of being alone. That sounds pretty good. It sounds okay. It might even be kind of peaceful like that. That looks good, but for me, it's um, more like that. Um, it is hard for me. Solitude is not something that comes naturally to me, especially if you think about synonyms to solitude, which are loneliness and solitariness or isolation, seclusion, sequestration. Um, that's not good. And so here's the thing. Normally, if someone asks you to talk about something, you're, you, you know something about it. You're maybe a subject matter expert to some degree. And I, was, I said, hey, I'll take that one on because it's, it's not something I really practice. It's not who, how I'm wired. It's something I really struggle with. So it's kind of like this. It's sort of like asking me um, to be a Redskins fan. <laughs> really difficult. Don't have much. Other than there's two things. Number one, um, they play in a really good division, and so twice a year they get to see these guys. But besides that, I don't really have very much information. So, um, yeah. So here's the thing. I know I'm not alone when it comes to solitude. It's one of the, it's one of the least practiced spiritual disciplines of all of them. Uh, if you read into the spiritual disciplines, they say it's one of the most important ones. It's so foundational, yet a lot of people don't do it. It runs in opposite to culture. But tells us our, our worth is measured by how many friends we have, how many experiences we have, right? How we can tell everybody in the whole world about what we're doing with our life, and we definitely don't want to be like a loner or alone. So why should we practice solitude, guys? I think it's because our world is noisy and busy. Most of us turn our TVs on as soon as we wake up to catch, on the, catch up on the Check out our smartphones to see what kind of important emails may have popped overnight because we're really important. Um, we start the car and immediately turn on the radio. Maybe you don't. We can't even fall asleep, some of us, without having a fan on or some kind of noise in the room because the quiet is just really hard. Some of you resonate with any of that. Now, I can't stand the fan in my house just because I have allergies and it's killing me, but I don't like the silence. It's awkward sometimes. Bob Benson tells us this. He says, even people with autism who are characterized by complete isolation and antisocial behavior are afraid of complete solitude. The basis of this fear has to do with the fact that everybody aspires to be happy, but since essentially humans are social animals, it implies that we only feel content when we're with others. It's pretty interesting, even for people who are autistic, who you wouldn't think that's the case. So another thing is, we just don't like being alone. I had a friend once who said his, you know, his best friend was just himself. Um, but he didn't have a lot of friends. He kind of was alone a lot, and he had some kind of awkward parts of his personality that made that happen. To him. Anyway, um, I, actually, it's not just that we don't like being alone. I think it's a lot worse than that. In a recent study of the top fears of adults, the 10 greatest fears, it's interesting. So you know it's going to fall on the scale somewhere. So here they are. Number tier, 10, fear of getting old. These are for adults. Fear of being poisoned. That's an interesting one. Fear of being a coward. Yeah, nobody wants to be a coward. Germophobia, right? Howie Mandel, you know, you don't touch anybody or whatever, okay? Fear of going crazy. These are people like over 40. They're literally worried about losing their mind and having dementia. Fear of intimacy. Fear of spiders, rats, airplanes, demons, heights, whatever, just different things, like those kind of fears are all grouped together. Social phobia, which is public speaking, like right now, no, I'm kidding, or open spaces. Um, 
fear of death, but the number one fear was fear of loneliness. It's pretty, that's pretty powerful that the number one fear that people had, I thought it was public speaking because I'd heard that a bunch of times, but really it was loneliness, being alone, being by yourself. Um, there was a study that UVA did recently, and they were trying to measure about how people, how much they like being alone in their thoughts. So they had all these students come, come around and different people, and they said, okay, you have to be, sit here and do, you know, you can be by yourself. Now, if we will pay you to shock yourself. They were listening to music and stuff, and we'll give you money if you'll actually shock yourself. And people didn't do it. They were like, no way, I'll just listen to music. But then later on, they left those people alone. And a lot of the people, they had like control groups. They said, no, we want you to sit alone with your thoughts for 20 minutes. Two-thirds of the men shocked themselves. They did not want to be alone with their thoughts. Like a quarter of the women and two-thirds of the guys literally would rather shock themselves with electric shock than be alone in their thoughts. It's a really real serious problem. Think about people, think about your children, think about the next generation. They're never quiet. They have earbuds in 24-7. We don't like to be alone. It's really interesting. So we tweet, we post, we text, and we always want to know that somebody is listening, so we remind ourselves that we're not alone. In fact, solitude is seen as a punishment, like solitary confinement, right? It's a punishment. So is solitude really important? I mean, we don't like it. We don't want to do it. So is it? Yeah, I would say yes, because it was to Jesus. And this was really powerful for me because, again, it's not something I've practiced a lot. My, I'll do it, but it's just hard. I started looking at verses about solitude with Jesus, and these are just some. There's a whole, whole bunch more, okay? Here's some of them. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels tended to him. But he's out there by himself for 40 days. Days and nights. Okay, very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. News about him spread all the more, so crowds came to hear him, and he healed their sicknesses, but he often withdrew to lonely places, and he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. After Jesus dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain himself to pray, and he was still there when the evening came. And on, and on, and on. So if you'd like to do any kind of research, just research that. It is very profound how much Jesus practiced solitude. So if, if it's important to Jesus, it probably ought to be important to us too. Why? Because we need solitude to go along with our social, socialization. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, uh, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Pretty profound words. So if we're, if we're going to do solitude, if we're going to practice it, if Jesus told us to do it, where do we start? Where can you start? So I would say make space for solitude in your schedule. Again, maybe you guys are completely unlike me, but my schedule gets full. Only for what I want to do. I mean, I choose it, right? I mean, I have to go to work. We have jobs. We have certain responsibilities. But then that white space in your life, you choose it. You could watch a television show. You could binge watch 
Amazon Prime or Netflix, or you can go off and be with God alone. But I bet you if you don't plan it and really think about it ahead of time, you're more likely to do something other than this. Because it's probably not coming that natural to you. Um, I'd say this. Maybe it's just turn the TV off, refuse to answer the phone one night a week. Um, God can give you some ideas, but we're going to have to say no to some other things. The other thing you can do is you can take advantage of little solitudes that you have throughout the day. So early morning moments before your family gets up, if you're the only one up at night, I mean, still dark, you can do that. Maybe it's that morning cup of coffee at work before you actually jump into your day. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be three minutes. It could be bumper-to-bumper traffic instead of listening to the news and catching up on fantasy football or whatever you do. It could just be quiet. So here's an interesting one. So when I was trying to have God speak to me in my life, and again, I had little babies at home. Our three kids were small, and I was just struggling. with what am I supposed to do? I have a decision point in my life to make. And one of the mentors in my life said, Take three glass, drink three glasses of water and call me in the morning. I'm like, what are you, some dorky doctor or something? I was, he was like, no, seriously. And it worked because I drank three big glasses of water, and about 2 a.m., I had to pee so bad. I got up, and it was quiet. And it was, if you have little kids, it's never quiet. So maybe for you, if you're just having a struggle finding that time, something as simple as drink three big glasses of water, pound those things, go to bed, you will wake up, and I promise you, you'll be awake too. You won't just be dragging to the bathroom. You'll be like hurting probably. And then God can use that time to speak to you. God uses weird stuff sometimes, right? Anyway, I'd also encourage you to develop a quiet place of your own. So there's some different things you can do. So special corner of a room, a special chair in your house, a place in your backyard. Put a chair by the grill. I don't know. It's your, it's your thing, a spot in the park or a spot in the parking lot. Literally, if you get to work early, you park in the corner, nobody's around you, and just take a few moments. Maybe it's a storage closet. I don't know. I mean, that would be weird, coming out of the closet at work. But, <laughs> but... You've got to figure it out. God is going to, if you just allow God to speak to you and give you some ideas, he'll do it. He's a God of ideas. I believe it. So here's what Richard Foster says. What can we actually do? So if you're going to start practicing like me, you think I got to do something, right? I'm making a plan. I'm making time for it. Now what do I do? Richard Foster tells us the point of your time in solitude is to do nothing. Don't try to make it happen. How many of you guys like to make things happen. How is doing nothing kind of counterintuitive? It is for me. And so he says, that's what you need to do, is do nothing. In solitude and silence, we learn to stop doing, stop producing, stop pleasing people, stop entertaining ourselves, stop obsessing, stop doing anything except to simply be your true self with God. And when you're your true self with God, he tells us that you can be found by him. So do nothing. Don't try to make anything happen. So if we do that, he also says, the Spirit speaks to us when our heart is still and silent before the Lord. Not when we're rushing around, doing our own thing in our own way, but when we stop and we're silent, like the song says, in the stillness you were there, right? In the quiet. And God has a still, small voice. I mean, he could boom it. But many times in the Bible, the examples are a still, small voice. And if, if you've got the noise level too loud, you can't hear it. It's kind of like 
a mouse running across the floor, right? They say you never, I mean, if I'm, I saw a mouse, I am deathly afraid of mice. I would be up, I mean, literally, I would be in your arms. It's bad. In sixth grade, on a sleepover, um, we're in this guy's den, one of my best friends. The next thing I know, I think someone's kicking me, and a rat had got chewed through my sleeping bag and then chewed through my uh, pajamas and was on me. And I freaked out and ran home, all the way home. And to this day, I'm not scared of snakes, but if I see a little bitty mouse, I'm up on the countertop. It's bad. So thing about mice is, if I saw one, I was watching TV, and we had like a little field mice behind our house, a little bitty one. It was like late at night. I freaked out. And I'm like, I didn't hear that thing. It was like stealth. But the truth was, had we been completely silent, even the little pitter-patter of that mouse's feet, you'd hear it. If you get it quiet enough, how quiet do you have to get it to hear God's still small voice? I don't know. So what do we expect? So you're going to make time to do it. You're going to put it on your calendar. But during the actual time of being silent or having solitude, what do you expect? I would say this. Keep your expectations realistic. God may not always profoundly speak to you. So if you go in there thinking God's going to, I'm going to be like Moses. I'm going to get the 11th and 12th commandment. I'm going to change. You know, it might not happen. It's important, though, to think about that, especially if you haven't done it before. Also, don't feel guilty if your mind wanders. If you're just trying to, I mean, you're just trying to just let God speak to me, and the next thing you know, as you're doing that, you're thinking, did I pay the credit card bill? Did I return those library books? Oh, my gosh. Or the red box? Man, we're going to be paying. Nothing's still in my Your mind might wander, and that's okay. Just refocus. You're not perfect. So just just don't feel guilty about that. And also, I'd say be prepared for a spiritual battle. And this is one to not take lightly. As important as solid is, you shouldn't consider it casually and carelessly, especially if you're an extroverted person like me. There's reasons that many people are afraid to be alone, especially without activity or noise. Like Jesus, in our solitude, we may have to deal with Satan's temptations and all sorts of wild stuff. So Henry Nowen tells us this. This is pretty powerful from him. He said, Solitude's not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it's a place of conversion, a place where the old self dies, the new self is born. And he gets really uh, vulnerable here. He said, In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk to, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract me. Just me, naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It's in this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude, a nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, wants to run to my work, wants to run to any distraction so I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe I'm worth something. Because guys, it gets to the point where you have to realize that we, we aren't worthy. God's the one who's worthy. But that's uncomfortable to think about how broken we are and how much we need God. But he speaks to us in our brokenness. But he goes on. He said, that's not all. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, weird associations jump into my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces, and I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies and dream lustful dreams in which I'm wealthy, influential, very attractive, or poor, ugly, in need of immediate consolation. Thus, I try again to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all its vain glory. 
I mean, God will speak to you and show you you. He'll show me me. He'll start showing you things about you that probably you, you need to know and don't want to know. But that's how he changes us, right? When he gives us a new heart, when he wants to make us more like Jesus. So if we know it's important, and I believe it is, I'm telling you, God is working on me in this area big time. If we believe it's important, and we know we have to be prepared, we have to be cautious, what next? This is some practical things. I would say this. Number one, commit to a time of solitude this week. Try it out. With all these spiritual disciplines, sometimes if you come and you listen to something, right, and you have, like, discussion about it, you don't actually have to implement it, and you almost feel like you did. Have you ever read a book that had a bunch of stuff in it, and it was like, dude, that was good, and then you just kind of went on with your life? It's not going to be transformative unless you actually practice it. So I would just challenge you to commit to something, 10 minutes, an hour, half a day, don't talk, whatever, but write it down, and then pray to God to bring to light anything that you need to see about your life. Just like David says, search me, God, know me. Then open the Bible. If you're not sure what to do, maybe read a passage from Psalms and then just sit there quietly. I mean, and just say, okay, I don't even know what this means, but speak to me, God. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel like a long time, even though it might not. You may be tempted to go, is my time over? Is my time over? But sit there. Be quiet. And then afterward, write down a few thoughts about how God spoke to you. So I would encourage you to do a couple things. I'd write down maybe as you're, just make sure if you have, because if you're like me, again, man, it's not, you'd be like, bing, email, something's going to come up and distract you. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to have electronics, make sure you're disconnected. So you're just writing down your thoughts. And then afterwards, write those down and maybe revisit them and then talk to somebody about it. Because I think a lot of times stuff takes root and it really means more when you share it. You know, it's great to go to a great restaurant and you loved it, but it's even better when you get to tell somebody. You know what I mean? You're like, dude, you're not going to believe this, man. You've got to come back with me. So if God is, then make sure you share it with somebody. Here's some questions. Have you ever spent time in solitude? Maybe, you, maybe you're like a pro at it. If so, what's it like? And what things in your life are preventing you from doing it? And what changes might you be able to make to begin practicing the discipline? And then lastly, will you commit to spending time the next week? And then who are you going to share it with? Is it your spouse? Is it somebody at your table? And then hold each other accountable. That's, that's all I have. I want to pray if we could. God, thank you for showing us how we're supposed to live. And, and Lord, these spiritual disciplines are not, they're not easy. And Lord, in our own strength, we're not going to be able to do it. And even if we just try to worship our own will and we do it for a week or two without you, without you in it, it's going to fail, it's going to falter. So what I pray, God, is if we endeavor to spend time with you quiet, that you'd speak to every single one of us. Not just that, God, but then we'd take it and we would share what you're doing in our lives with someone who means something to us, whether it's a family member or a friend. We would encourage it, we'd pay it forward. And Lord, that you'd change us because you know we need to be changed. We, we need to be more like Jesus. So speak to us, Lord. I'm so grateful for your word and how you show us how we can live. So may we apply it. In Jesus' name, amen.